And to the music of Enigma, catch them around southeast Nebraska at your leisure. Scott Colborn with Exploring and Explained Phenomena. Jim, would you punch that red button there? Because I can't reach that. And the guy that said certainly uh, is Jim Shorney. Hi, Jim. That would be me. Hi, Scott. How's the coffee? Have you had a sip yet? Yes, I have. It's excellent. This is my last Jack Reacher coffee, so I must procure some more. You must. I insist. Happy Easter to everybody. Easter is tomorrow. If you're listening live, you already know that. And if you're listening uh, by the archive, this is kind of Easter weekend that we're all preparing. And here's Jim Shorney with an impromptu weather forecast for today and tomorrow. See, I knew you were going to do that, so I'm prepared today. It's 62 degrees Fahrenheit in South Lincoln this morning with a sunny sky. Beautiful blue sky, not a cloud to be seen. And uh, we're expecting a high in the low 80s today. But is it going to snow tomorrow? No. I can say that with a great deal of certainty. <laughs> we could start a rumor. We no. could. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not, no snow tomorrow. Not here anyway. It's, it's going to snow be a, somewhere, but not here. It's going to be a great weekend. And I think either today or tomorrow, we're going to probably hit our first 80s uh, of the season here. So. Uh-huh. So happy Easter, um, and those of us that are Christians know why we celebrate this. The rest of you just enjoy the good food and kind of go along with the weekend here, if you will. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty, and this is Charlene from the Capital Humane Society. Hi, Charlene. Good morning. And tell us, first of all, about the Tales and Trails Pet Walk. That will be coming up May 18th. Just around the corner, it's going to be held at the Fallbrook Town Center. It's a really fun event for people to attend with or without their dog. Um, there is a walk. There's also lots of interesting vendors to visit with to learn more about what they are doing. Um, there will be activities that um, you can uh, participate in, like bobbing for hot dogs for your dog, uh, mutt golf. Yummy. <laughs> I like that, mutt mutt golf. Mutt mutt golf. <laughs> Um, it starts at 11 a.m. and it'll probably go till around 2.30 or 3. We have hot dogs for hot dogs. That's right. That's funny. And there'll be cool baby pools for them to, to chill in. When it, If the weather is nice and warm, we always have baby pools full of water that the dogs lay around in. <laughs> oh, but they love that. Uh-huh. Do you have any for the people, too? They can, yes, they can, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you know, I'd almost go to that just to watch the fun. It is. It's so much fun. And it, it's really heartwarming because you see so many great pet owners who just adore their animals and take really good care of them. Uh, so it's just a, a really good, um, inspiring event so that you know that there's so many loved animals in our community. So grab your four-legged furry friend and head out to Fallbrook, which is uh, out there north of the Highlands. Right. Yeah, put your cat on a leash and go out and join these folks. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, just try. Just try. <laughs> that would have to be a very tolerant cat. Speaking of cats for adoption, let's kick off the show here with some kittens and cats for adoption. Here's Shirley with the Capital Humane Society. 
we're going to start with Bruce Wayne. <laughs> he no has a way. really cute picture with his little tongue poking out. I think he was just finishing dinner. It's one of his favorite times of the day. He's about a three-year-old um, neutered male domestic short hair, a very handsome and intelligent cat, loves to talk. He's always got things on his mind he wants to share with you and, again, loves dinner time. So if that sounds like your perfect companion, come and visit him soon. Okay, so does he turn into Bat-Cat at night? <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, Dad, is that really Bruce R- Wayne? <laughs> oh, boy, what a, what a pretty kitty. Pictures at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. I'm Scott and Jim. This is Charlene. And we just talked about Bruce Wayne. Bruce is joined by... Chevy or Chevy, whichever one you want to use. He is a one-year-old neutered male, all gray cat, very, very good looking, looking for a calm home with people who will appreciate his intelligence and charm. If you love all gray cats, you'll want to meet him soon. So if you're running around in the house after the cat, that's a Chevy Chase. (laughs) There you go. What a great cat. Chevy is our second cat. He joins Bruce Wayne, and their buddy is... Lucy, and she's 10 years old, a spade female, long, shiny black fur, big, bright eyes, a little bit bashful, but really warms up quickly to kind people. So if you have a gentle touch, we hope you'll consider taking Lucy home. Scott has that look on his face. Are you going to sing? What's the name of the cat? <laughs> Lucy. In the sky with diamonds. Or we could do, um, if there's a family that has a Ricky, Ricky Ricardo and Lucy. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> anyway, what a pretty fluffy black kitty with the uh, golden green eyes and white whiskers. Yes, yes, she is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way Lucy is posed with that kind of hair standing up, it, it's almost like Lucy is saying... Show me that toy one more time. <laughs> She's going to pounce. I'm yep. fully focused. <laughs> yep. Bruce Wayne, Chevy, and Lucy, three great cats for adoption. Their pictures are up at capitalhumanesociety.org. And here's Shirley to talk about hours open. We will be open today at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center from 11 to 5.30, and we are closed tomorrow for Easter. And so people always are curious, like, when you guys are closed, the dogs and cats are still cared for, aren't they? Oh, sure. We still have staff coming in. They are definitely getting the attention that they need. They'll be fed and exercised and cleaned up after. So they're always on our uh, top of our list. Do you folks play music for dogs and cats? Um, I think we ha- we don't have it going constantly, but I know that's something that some animals find comforting. Mm-hmm. Some animals like me, I typically have music going constantly. (laughs) (laughs) The Savage Beast. Hey, we're looking at dogs for adoption now, and we're on that page, and there's some good-looking guys and gals here. Who do you want to start with? We'll start with Tia. And Tia is a German Shepherd. She weighs about 64 pounds, about two years old, a spayed female, looking to be your one and only furry friend. So she's looking for a home without dogs or cats. Uh, She is intelligent. She knows tricks like shake, so she's looking forward to showing those off for you. If you think uh, she might be a good fit for your family, please ask more about her. Okay, Tia, great-looking dog. 
Tia's got a buddy, and that buddy's name is? Swayze. Hi, Swayze. And Swayze is a one-year-old neutered male pit bull, about 52 pounds, a strong and handsome dog, also very smart. He can get very playful, so he's looking for a family that likes to do active things. We'll provide him with plenty of exercise and playtime. Uh, if you're interested in a very fun friend, ask about Swayze. Tia, Swayze, and then there's... We'll talk about Sebastian. And he is a black lab mix, about 11 years old, a very gentle, very nice dog, looking for a family that just is looking for an easygoing companion, super affectionate. He does need to meet other dogs and needs a home without cats. If you think you can give Sebastian a great home, we hope you'll stop by today. Okay, Tia, Swayze, and Sebastian, their pictures are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And again, here's Shirling with hours open today. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center will be open today from 11 to 5.30 and then close tomorrow for Easter. Also information about the Dine-In at Don and Millie's as a fundraiser on the website. And there's going to be the 6th Annual Kitten Shower where everybody shows up with umbrellas and rain suits because it rains kittens. Yeah. That's right. That's it's a, a neat fun trick. event. Yep, yep. Lots of cute kittens available. A fun day. It'll be from 11 to 2 on June 1st at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. Uh, information on the website, capitalhumanesociety.org. Um, Shirlene, all the best to you and your family on this Easter weekend, and I hope you have a, a great celebration and a great remembrance. Thank you. All the best to you as well. Shirlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. Jim, who's up next? Our friend Lloyd. That would be Lloyd Arbach. And Lloyd should be right there. Hello, Mr. Arbach. Hello, Scott. It's great to talk with you again this month. And I was really pleased to see that there's a class coming up. That is there any way we can make it required that anybody that calls himself a ghost hunter takes your class? Oh, yes, please. Oh, you know, it would be nice to be able to do that. I, I wouldn't care if it was my class or one of the ones offered by one of my colleagues, but anyone who calling themselves a ghost hunter, especially when they start claiming to be, quote, professional or that they're scientific, actually has some understanding of parapsychology rather than a complete lack of awareness of parapsychology has anything to do with what they're doing. Yeah, we could see, for example, if uh, people contacted a uh, quote-unquote Ghostbuster, they could say, you know, what's your background, what's your training, um, what's your uh, level of schooling, what classes have you taken, uh, as opposed to um, what TV shows have you watched? <laughs> right, I know. You know, and, and actually what's really crazy is that some of them claim, you know, some of the people who actually speak at these ghost conferences um, who will claim that there are no such thing as experts in the subject and that there's no way, you know, that you shouldn't have to pay for education because there's nothing you can teach, you know, which is ridiculous because methodology can be taught, uh, theory can be taught, history can be taught. I mean, there's so many things that, that are, in fact, taught. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just them puffing themselves up. That's all it is. Uh, this would be a great class, I think, for um, ufologists, people interested in that mystery, because 
you talk about um, telepathy. And one of the things that people always remark about if they've had close encounters is they are face-to-face with these beings and they can hear their voices in their head. Uh, Their mouths are not moving, but they can hear the message, the conversation in their head. That's telepathy, isn't it? Well, that would be telepathy. That's correct. Yeah, mind-to-mind communication. You know, this introduction to parapsychology class covers pretty much the wide range of what we deal with when it comes to psychic phenomena, Mm -hmm. and it runs the gamut from ESP to psychokinesis to even evidence for life after death. Plus, we cover the methods that we use in the laboratory, some of our history, and a lot of the history is pretty fascinating um, that going back to the 1800s, kind of where it came from Mm -hmm. and how it all interrelates, because I think that that's the thing that people don't always understand is how uh, you can't really understand the concepts of things like apparitions or ghosts without really understanding that ESP and even psychokinesis can be involved. And it goes back to the 1800s. There has been a uh, collection of information, and most notably would be the uh, Rhine Research Center. There are other societies... Well, the Rhine Research Center, that's where we're teaching through. You know, I have to have to give props, of course, to the Society of Psychical Research, mm-hmm. which is still in existence. Um, it started in 1882, and without them, we wouldn't be here in some respects, or we'd be very, very different. Uh, the SPR is, you know, talk about what ghost hunters don't know. It's just amazing how few ghost hunters even know the SPR exists or know anything about their history at all. And there is a method employed here in parapsychology, the scientific method. And so you bring up, I know in the syllabus, part of the, um, the definition, and you talk about science versus the supernatural and what makes right. psi research a science. Yeah, it, it's amazing how much disinformation and misinformation skeptics put out there. Well, you know about the same thing with ufology. It's just amazing how personal, I won't say experience, personal beliefs will prevent them from even looking at evidence uh, to the point where if someone said, have you, you know, a new paper will come out and someone will ask a skeptic, a main skeptic, extreme skeptic, have you, you know, what do you think of this? And they'll say, it's a bunch of crap, there's no such thing here. And a reporter will ask, well, have you read the paper? And the response is, no, why would I? <laughs> <laughs> why would I sully yeah, my yeah. reputation with information and, and education? Why would I risk yeah, actually why, learning why, something? Why would I, yeah, that's right. Why would I read anything that might change my mind? Yeah. Oh. Uh, we've all, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm including all you guys and gals listening, we've all had some extraordinary experiences that we can't fit into uh, consensual reality boxes. Um, Many of us have had what Lloyd terms um, spontaneous ESP experiences. Could you elaborate on that that term or that definition, Lloyd? Sure. Um, You know, we all know of psychics, you know, people who ostensibly can control their abilities and kind of turn it on and off and pick up things when they want to. 
which is you know not 100% true anyway, not, not even 100% of the time. But we have these experiences that pop up for us, um, whether they're telepathic, you know, people sharing dreams, for example, mm-hmm. knowing when somebody's on the phone. You know, this is not, this is, I'm not talking about caller ID here. But, you know, you know the, the phone's about to ring and it's going to be so-and-so who's calling you. Or having some other kind of premonition of something that's about to happen. Or knowing some information. You touch an object that's pretty old and you get this flash of insight and you and just about who the owner is. Or maybe you're house hunting and you walk into a house and you get a real weird vibe and... In fact, the house feels very bad, like the people have been fighting in it. And you come to find out later on the people were fighting because they left an impression behind. Mm-hmm. So we're picking up information from us all around, and it's a very spontaneous thing. It's not controlled. Uh, just like we don't control what we see and what we hear, it's whatever is in the environment. And that's all spontaneous EFT. I love to tell the story, uh, Lloyd, of being at the Ozark UFO Conference with a colleague of mine, a uh, doctorate in clinical psychology. She, she was seated next to me, and it was Sunday morning. Um, Lou Farish, um, he's now passed. He was at the podium and basically reaching into a large box, pulling out names of people that were at the conference and giving them door praises. And I'm just, you know, enjoying a cup of coffee, waiting for the, the next speaker. And Lloyd, suddenly I felt like I was switched on, like I had been filled to the brim with pure joy. It was uh, a feeling of ecstasy. And in that, in that instant, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Lou Farish, standing across the room at the podium, was going to call my colleague's name. So I turned to her and I said, he's going to call your name next. And she gave me a friendly elbow on the side saying, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, dream on, buddy. With absolute certainty, I turned my head and looked. I saw him reach in the box, pull a piece of paper out, lift his head to the microphone, and he said her name. And I I can't explain that. I know that there was a precursor, this feeling that I had of suddenly everything was super intensified, um, sights, sounds, smells, um, nerve endings, and I, I felt ecstatic. I felt joyful. I felt plugged in. Yeah, people have different feelings around that, uh, around the either knowing that the experience is going to be, but really what it comes down to is it, it doesn't feel like a guess. It feels like you know for a fact that it's oh, yeah. a real thing. Yeah, it's absolutely real. When I've, when I've shared this story with people, I've said if it was a matter of placing a bet at a poker table, I would have, without any mm-hmm. hesitation, I would have gone all in because I knew, I absolutely knew. Uh, and, of course, the, the skeptic could say, okay, Colborn, you're sitting across the room, and you heard him mumble her name. And that's why you think that he was going to draw the name. Well, I've, right. I've thought a long and hard about that. And none of that was in his presentation that morning. He didn't mm-hmm. pre-announce anybody's name. And he had literally not reached in the box yet when I had this feeling. I mean, I saw him 
in perfect clarity and slow motion, reach into that box, pull the piece of paper out, and then look up at the microphone and, and say your name. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, I will tell you, back when I was in college, um, I was in my dorm room, well, actually my fraternity room, mm-hmm. with my roommate. We're just both studying, and we have the radio on, and they start talking about a new movie coming out, and I knew it was coming. It was called Star Wars. Mm-hmm. This is in, in Chicago. Uh, I had read the novel, actually, a couple months before, and I, I was a big fan of Buck Rogers. So I thought, this is going to be a fun movie to go to. So on the radio, they say, we have a contest. Uh, the seventh caller, or or whatever the number caller was, will win tickets to Star Wars, uh, to a, pre- a preview showing with media. Uh, I think it was like the next day or something like that. And I, you know, I I heard I had actually heard that contest offered uh, a couple days before, and I did want to see the movie, but something made me just I felt this thing wash over me that told me to pick up the phone, dial in, and I won tickets. Cool. So I actually saw Star Wars um, several days before it opened officially. I actually saw it twice because I had a friend of mine whose dad worked for a newspaper, and the next day we went to see it because his dad didn't want to go. <laughs> so I saw it twice before it even opened. So the force was truly with me. The force was with you. Um, where can people go for more information on this really interesting class? So for the Introduction to Parapsychology class, which is an eight-week online class, they can go to the Rhine Education Center. Just go. Actually, the easiest thing to go is to go to Rhine R H I N E dot org, mm-hmm. and just look for the education link, and that'll take you right to it. Um, it is an eight-week class starting on May sixth. It is offered so that you can do it. Do take sit through the lecture, or watch the lecture live, or we record. We have a, at least half the students do not do it live, um, but there is a live forum for us to actually connect you to connect with other students, and you can take it either for fun or for an actual grade and get a certificate mm-hmm. at the end. So you can, you can, you can join this uh, live. It's an eight-week session. Uh, or let's say that you've got a couple of times where you can't be there. You can then watch the archive. That's correct. And cool. usually that's up by the next day. Yep. Well, if, if folks want more information and you at all are connected to me, look on my Facebook page because I just posted this last night. And uh, Lloyd Auerbach, L-O-Y-D-A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H, Lloyd Auerbach, is also on Facebook, and you'll find more information there, as well as he said, Ryan, R-H-I-N-E dot org, and look for the education link. Yeah, and I also want to mention that if people join the Rhine, they get a discount. And the Rhine Center has been sponsoring lectures on all sorts of topics uh, in and around the unexplained and the paranormal for quite some time. And we have an amazing media library, uh, which is part, it's kind of the main, I mean, it's the main benefit of being a member there besides supporting the Rhine Center. Um, a little bit of history of parapsychology, extrasensory perception, psychokinesis. Psychokinesia's Special Topics in Psychic Fraud Overview, Survival of Bodily Death, Field Research and Investigations, and the Wrap-Up, Explanations, Correlations, Criticisms, Implications, and Applications. This is good stuff, Lloyd. Thank you so much for offering this class. Uh, My pleasure. I love teaching this class.
Okay. Uh, thank you, Lloyd, for all that you do for us. And um, what what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? What am I doing for the rest of the weekend? Well, I have some work to do around the house. <laughs> um, and actually, I am finishing up grading material from my last class for the Rhine Center. I have students that uh, took the advanced field investigations class. So I have to finish grading their discussion forums for the ones who want to grade. And we've got a final quiz that they filled out, too. Okay. Lloyd, thanks so much for, uh, for helping us get educated. And we'll look forward to talking with you next month. Thanks, Scott. Take care. So why can't, Jim, why can't we make this a prerequisite? If people are going to call themselves a ghost hunter, they take this class. I think so. I or think something, a, a something like idea. it. Yes. Something very much like it. You know, a friend of mine observed one time that uh, in the late 1800s, they, the paranormal research, the premier paranormal researchers of the day were the greatest scientific minds of the time. Yeah. And today, they're plumbers. And that's nothing against plumbers. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I had a brother-in-law who was a plumber. Great guy, did wonderful work. But uh, you know, we most of these people have no formal training or education whatsoever. It's it's like you said. It's which which TV show did you watch? I've had friends also that have taken this class, and they've just what to a person said that it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jim, let's take the bottom of the hour break. Let's do that, and we'll come back with. Um, our guest, Jan Lindgren, and hopefully Jan is on her way hopefully, here. Yeah. <clears throat> we I've will, been watching for her. Yep. We will uh, come back here in a little bit. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney, and we are exploring unexplained phenomena. in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. KZUM's new podcast partners program aims to support producers of original content who are motivated to create podcasts that enrich the perspectives of our audience as an extension of KZUM's mission to inform and entertain the Lincoln community. If you're interested in bringing a podcast idea to life, the podcast partners program might be for you. Find out more and apply at kzum.org slash podcasts. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. 
To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. There are many conservative Christian perspectives on the radio today. But there is a place for a dialogue between faith and science. For interfaith conversation in the interest of peace and understanding. For a non-literalist perspective on the Bible, because it was never intended as a weapon. I'm Beth Menhusen. And I'm Richard Randolph. Join us every Saturday here on KCUM from 9 to 10 a.m. for Counterbalance, Progressive Christian Voices. We'll discuss spiritual, social, and ethical issues. We'll be interviewing authors and experts, and we'll be taking your phone calls. That's Counterbalance, every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. here on KZUM. I was honored to um, be one of the readers last night at Westminster Presbyterian Church. Uh, we read excerpts from John about the uh, trial and crucifixion uh, of Jesus. And I was the narrator number two. So this weekend is an Easter weekend. A lot of us are going to worship. Uh, there's going to be family get-togethers. Uh, there'll be a lot of great food consumed. And I think sometime in this weekend, I'm going to be mowing at least one yard. That old saying that if you don't mow it, then you've got to bring in animals to, like, chew it down. Well, that's where I'm at with a couple of yards here. Now, Scott, tell the truth. You're really looking for Easter eggs. Yeah, well, you'll see my posts on Facebook about a successful Easter egg hunt, and there's two people fleeing, carrying an overly large egg, and behind them, coming down this hill, is this gigantic rabbit I, who I, doesn't look happy. So I thought that's what you look like in the morning before your first cup of coffee. So it's going to be a great weekend for all of us, and um, there's a lot of things in the air. Uh, springtime, yes. uh, it's renewal. There's changes around us locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. And some of that, I think, shows up in our um, unconscious. And we experience some of that through our dreams. With me is uh, one of Lincoln's, I, I call Jan an asset, but Dr. Jan Lindgren. She's got her doctorate in educational psychology and a long history of helping people in Lincoln, southeast Nebraska, and to conferences and retreats that she attends, helping people understand the nature of guidance they receive through the process of dreams. Uh, the simple term is dream interpretation. And with that, I'd like to welcome to the program uh, Jan Lindgren. Good morning, Scott and Jim. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Jan, it's always a pleasure to have you here, and I preface this by saying that our subject is one of my most favorite topics. Mine too. Uh, because I was one of those lucky people that through, and with the help of your guidance, I realized that there was something happening in that dream process, that it wasn't biologically random 
brain synapses firing off. It wasn't too much pepperoni pizza before I went to bed. And there was almost, almost a dialogue. At times, it almost seemed like a dialogue. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And um, so in, in the best way that I can sum up my own experience, eventually, Jan, I realized that there was an intelligence on the other end of this process that wanted the best for me, that wanted to, to help me, to send me information. And yes. once I began to learn how to decode that, there were a number of revelations that continue to this day. Yes, I realize the audience doesn't see me nodding my head in agreement. So, um, yes. So, Jan, what got you first interested in the subject of dreams? Was it your own dreams? Well, of course. Um, I had read Carl Jung's uh, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections before I got involved in any kind of dream interpretation. And... um, and was fascinated by the book. Um, and um, I'm sure my sister Marilyn was the one who had mentioned it to me. She was working on a master's degree in history at the University of Chicago and, and had some interesting experiences with professors. And um, uh, I would read some of the books she was reading. And that was one of the books that I read um, in my late 20s, I think. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back to school to get my doctorate, which is in guidance and counseling, by the way. Okay, thank <laughs> um, you, Jen. And uh, there was a fellow there who came to Idaho State University to work on a doctorate himself. And he had been in Zurich, Switzerland for four years, taking coursework in, in analysis. And in Pocatello, Idaho, Bob French was probably the only person interested in dream work. And um, the professors in the department kind of saw him as um, an oddity. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly he had been admitted to the program. He was in Pocatello, Idaho to get a doctorate in guides and counseling because of a dream he had when he was in Switzerland at the Zurich Jungian Institute. And um, he had the background in training there, but he needed a doctorate in the United States to legitimize his work here. Mm -hmm. Um, So on my 40th birthday, I'd had a dream uh, and I said, I had the most interesting dream last night. He said, well, let's talk about it. So that's how it got started. Mm-hmm. And then we met once a week to talk for me to talk about a dream and um, to give him some practice working with dreams. And then I had a dream that he interpreted to mean I was to go into a training analysis with him. So we met twice a week. And we did that for probably a year or more. And then I had a dream that, again, he interpreted to mean that 
I'd lost all interest in Jungian psychology and it was over. And I didn't, that didn't feel right for me at all. Um, so I met with his wife, who'd also been at the Jungian Institute in Zurich, and I met with her for, you know, maybe a year or so bef until he finished his work and, and left town. Um, and then I found dream partners um, to work with. And for about 10 years, I was on the phone um, every, I think it was every other week, working with a woman named Keith Consolving in Washington, D.C. I got her name from Ruth Thone, who was interested in dream work. Ruthie Thone, yeah. Yes, and uh, she gave me Keith's name and number. And I Keith was trained by Carl Young's daughter dream to work. I've had a dream partner until, and until Julie Lowe died. Mm -hmm. Julie and I were dream partners for, um, I think it was 34 years. Mm -hmm. if, um, if there wouldn't have been a Carl Young, would there have been somebody else? Uh, he seems like a, a really pivotal character. When, when we look at the modern history of dream interpretation? Well, and before that, there was Freud. And Freud certainly had um, generated a lot of interest in dreams. Mm -hmm. um, Jung took a different approach uh, with the Freudian work as a basis, but still m took a much broader approach to working with dreams. Somebody would have come up with that. Mm -hmm. um, Carl Jung was in a position where he could do his research, he could do his work, he could write, um, he could travel, he married a woman with money, mm -hmm. and that was fortunate in terms of getting him established. Mm -hmm. uh, however, he struggled with his peers who... Um, would have discounted much of what he was talking about. And he had tried, I think, kind of desperately to prove scientifically uh, that there was a basis to what he was uh, promoting in terms of working with dreams. But you really cannot, you can never do a double-blind study on the meaning of a dream. Um, there is no way to control. We don't know what's going to come up in our dreams. Yeah, in, in, in that light, in a previous segment, I was talking with Lloyd Arbach about a personal experience I had where a speaker at a conference... I heard um, that. I was listening to that as I drove by the station and, this morning. You know, I knew uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Lou Farish, the conference organizer, was going to call my friend's name mm -hmm. as he reached in the box. I knew all this in advance, just suddenly... And so I can't, I couldn't go in the laboratory and duplicate that. I could maybe test to see if I could get some guesses at some cards that were face down or, or some numbers appearing on a screen. But that, um, that experience and some others convinced me that there was more to consensus reality than uh, what I had previously thought about. Uh, and the subject of dreams, I think that... that that we prove it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a process that we go into where maybe we had a, a premonitory dream. And 
maybe we just uh, pay that some lip service, but then two to four weeks later, we have a life experience and we're able to say, wow. I dreamed that. That dream that I had. Or I've been here before. Four weeks ago seemed to be talking about that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I better pay attention here. This is Jan Lindgren, and uh, he, she's our special guest this morning on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. She's live in the studio, and it's great to have you here, Jan. Thank you. Let's take the top of the hour break. Uh, and Jim Shorty, my coffee is good. So is mine. Um, this is some great stuff, mm -hmm. but it's high test, so I'm tapering down as we go into the late morning <laughs> we're, here. We're wide awake, alert, enthusiastic, as they used to say in Scouts. Uh, Dr. Jan Lindgren, her degree is in guidance and counseling. She's in private practice in Lincoln. And you can reach her at 402-488-1916. And there's an answering device. You can leave a message there. It's great to have you folks here. Stay tuned for more conversation on one of my favorite subjects and something that each of you guys and gals experienced, I would bet, last night. We're talking about dreams. Stay tuned for more. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And by... The Haymarket Farmer's Market, thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. Hi, I'm Vic Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council.
says you know I love you, baby And I got a ride I hear the call of the road in his side See the soaring eagle in his eye So I give him his wings Let him fly from Enigma, catch them at uh, a place of your uh, convenience around southeast Nebraska. Enigma is the official music of exploring unexplained phenomena. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and our special guest, Jan Lindgren, and we're talking about dream interpretation. It's something that, that each of us do <clears throat> every night. Is there a a period of time during the, the night's sleep that we're most likely to dream? Well, according to the researchers on the dynamics of dreaming, we go through a number of sleep cycles that are roughly an hour and a half long, and there should be a period of REM sleep at the end of each of those dream cycles. But as we go through the night, the longer we see, we sleep, the longer that period of REM sleep becomes. So it's a gradual progression through the night as you go through the different cycles. So that um, they can prove that the longest period of REM sleep is going to be at the end of a six or eight or nine hour period. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and that's when the dreams are going to be most vivid and you are most likely to remember the dreams that occur at the end of maybe the fourth, the fifth, the sixth cycle. And this is the reason that the change to daylight savings time is so, um, I think it's drastic. Inappropriate. And inappropriate because someone has been on a sleep cycle through the night they either wake up naturally or they've adjusted to a time uh, when they have to get up. And then you change the clock and it throws everything off. So that um, if you wake up an hour earlier, that's going to be in the, maybe the middle of a sleep cycle mm-hmm. instead of the end of a sleep cycle. I know that if I am awakened at a certain point in a sleep cycle, my whole body aches. It's, there's chemistry that changes in the body mm-hmm. as we sleep and as we go into the dreaming and uh, the rapid eye movement. And so um, 
you need to complete the cycle for the chemistry to normalize uh, as you go into the waking world or you go back into another sleep cycle. And um, there are times I've awakened in the wrong time in the sleep cycle and I just feel like I've been hit by a, um, a semi. Mm-hmm. And the only way I can get out of it is to go back to sleep. Or I drag through the day for hours and hours. Uh, so well, I have a, those remarks. <laughs> really struggle with the shift to daylight savings time. Staying with daylight savings time 12 months a year would be fine. Yeah. The body accommodates. Pick one. That's, I'm, I'm all in favor of that. Jana, let me tell you, and I want to also ask you for your opinion. Let me tell you why I'm not a fan of lucid dreaming. <clears throat> so back in the 60s, 70s, that became kind of a hot topic. In the mm-hmm. 80s, um, when people knew that I was interested in dreams, they would ask me if, if I'm a lucid dreamer, as if that led to that. My understanding is, is that during my conscious awake life, my, my ego is present. And my ego is selecting things, saying, yep, that's me, nope, that's not me, I agree with that, no, I don't agree with that. Well, the one way that I can get information that tends to come around, over, underneath, or bypass that ego is through my dreams. But if I take the tact of trying to, quote-unquote, be conscious in my dreams and try to direct my dreams, I'm closing that door to this conversation that I might have if I was quieter and more receptive. Does that make any sense at all to you? Makes makes perfect sense. We We really benefit from finding out what the unconscious is trying to tell us. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to say, Carl Jung insisted again and again that we live much of our lives unconsciously. And, I mean, everybody listening is going to say, not me. I get in the car and drive, and I'm, I know where I'm... Yeah. <laughs> but, but there is so much truth to it that, especially in patterns that we live through, like the person who has a tendency to take everything that happens personally. Why did this happen to me? I know that when she or he said whatever, that was an attack on me. Um, It snowed and I couldn't get to my birthday party or no one came to my birthday party. Why did that happen to me? Well, it can be um, a pattern of thinking that becomes... A tyranny. Uh, you don't have to live your life that way. But if you don't realize you're doing it with everything that happens, uh, you will. Mm-hmm. The dreams are going to come to say, look, you're taking everything personally. You don't need to take it personally. Stuff happens. People have other things on their mind. They're not evaluating you every moment that they're in your presence or not. Um, I mean, it's... Um, we can create our own misery and don't even know we're doing it. And the dream maker would like us to move out of that place mm-hmm. and find a more objective perspective 
be able to stand back and say, well, maybe that person left the room in the middle of my speech because they needed to go to the bathroom. Hmm. Maybe it had nothing to do with me. Maybe they had another appointment and they just had to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Maybe it had nothing to do with me and what I said. It's, um, but unless you are aware of what you're doing, you can't change it. And the dream work the, that we do is to help us become aware so we can make those changes. I can't remember, Jim, the name of the author, but there was a book that came out in the 1990s called The Four Agreements. And one of those agreements is don't take things personally. Never heard of it, but I agree with the sentiment. And I see that all the time in everyday life. It's to the point where if you disagree with someone, they consider it a personal attack. And yes. It's not. And I've, I've told that to people. Don't personalize it. Yep. This is not a personal attack on you. I just don't agree with what you said. So I, I don't want to um, take control to be conscious to try to direct my dreams because I'm, I'm looking forward to that one way that I can have information slip in around or bypass my ego that, yes. that may be very, very valuable because my ego may say, yeah, I'm not gonna. No, that's not me. Uh -uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna agree with that. And it may be precisely what I need to hear. Right. And so the 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 dreams that come to us, this dream theater, Jan. Uh, what are some important, if you will, bullet points? Um, plot, place, people. Well. You want to locate in your mind the setting for the dream. Okay. I had a dream this morning where I was in the house that I lived in uh, 12 years ago. I haven't dreamed about that house, and I don't know if I've dreamed at all about it in, since I moved to my current address, but I'm back in that house. Um, so everything that follows is dependent upon the setting, that house on 75th Street. And um, so if you dream you're at the corner of 17th and South Street, that's important. What happened to you at the corner of 17th mm -hmm. and South Street? What do you think of when you think of 17th and South Street? Mm -hmm. You tell me, you go back into your past and, and we begin to understand what that setting means for you personally. And you can't go to a, a dream symbol book and figure this out. It has to come from your personal associations. Mm -hmm. So you want to identify the people in the dreams, the objects, the animals in the dream. And then we do the same thing with all of those. If there's a certain person, whoever the person is, I would say, Scott, what do you think of when you think of that person? Uh, tell me more about that person. What about your experience with that person? What do they do uh, with their time and their energy and their talents? And then we say, well, where could that be in you? Because the theory, according to Carl Jung, is that everybody in the dream is representing a part of ourselves. And it's as if we all have a board of directors your job, my job, Jim's job, is to be the chairperson of your own board of directors. 
But these other characters are going to show up as aspects of yourself. So maybe using the example I started with, you dream about somebody who is just um, obsessed with taking everything that happens personally. And you dream about that person and you say, okay, you come up with all your associations and you say, I'm just so frustrated. I can't say anything without her taking it personally as an attack. And even when I say that isn't what I meant, they don't believe me. Then I have to say, where is that in you? Can you go back to some incident in the recent past and identify that behavior in yourself? Mm-hmm. And then we have something to work on. So these people uh, represent aspects of who you are or who you can become. Yes. And I've used what I've called, uh, what I refer to as a Ben Franklin approach. So if I have um, a fictitious Aunt Lucy in my dream, um, I could put a column on the left positive, a column on the right negative. And I could say, as I know Aunt Lucy to be, not guesswork, but I know her, what are some of her strengths? And I would list those strengths down. Yes. On the other side, the negative side, where does Aunt Lucy try but miss the mark? What are some of her her, uh, misdirections, some of her failures? Where is she trying, but she's not quite getting there? What's some of the incompleteness? And write those down. Um, hopefully, the, there's more positive than... But the, both of these, and then I can say to myself, okay, where are these qualities inside myself that Aunt Lucy is showing me? Right. And uh, we need to look at both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. And we need to look at in any dream interpretation, what is the positive aspect of this? What is the negative aspect of this? Because we can learn from both. I remember a dream I had early in the process when I was still working with Bob French on um, dream analysis. And I dreamed that um, a man in our program, in the doctoral program at Idaho State, had died. And I was shocked and concerned and you know, the guy is showing up for class and work and doing his normal thing. Nothing seems to have been changed about him. I'm wondering, is this a premonition? What's going on? So Bob and I worked on the dream and he had me describe this fellow. What do you think of when you think of, I can't even think of his name now. Maybe it was Tom. What mm-hmm. do you think of when you think of Tom? Well, he's kind of arrogant And he really thinks he knows it all. He's not here to learn anything. He's just here to put in his time and get his degree. And I go on like that. And, you know, I know where this is headed because I've got to look at those qualities in myself. What does Tom represent? Aspects of you. Yes. And so as I've described this person who's arrogant, knows it all, is just putting in his time to get the degree, uh... Bob French said to me, would it be okay if that part of you died? And of course I would say yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
that would be okay. Mm-hmm. So the message in the dream was to force me to look at those qualities in myself and then say, yes, it's all right for that part of me to die. Mm-hmm. And with that conscious awareness, I could monitor my own behavior, the things I said, my attitude, my approach, and make sure that I wasn't coming from that perspective as I attended classes and and made contributions to class discussions. Um, the place, the setting, uh, that's being uh, pictured or given to us because we have an association to that. To that place, yes. The, the plot, the action, the subtext, the theme, what's going on? That's also of importance. Yes, um, definitely, because the story um, can be a parallel to something going on in our lives in the physical world on a day-to-day basis. Now, people who study um, Jungian psychology will spend a great deal of their time studying mythology. And the reason is the mythological stories um, are the stories about life. Mm -hmm. Like um, Sisyphus, who's rolling the stone up the hill, night after night, rolling this big stone up the hill, and every morning it rolls back down, and he has to start all over again rolling the stone up the hill. Where's the parallel in your life? Is there something in your life like that where you just keep trying to do the impossible Mm -hmm. and nothing changes? And once you realize what it is in your life, you can, as I said, consciously choose to make changes. Mm -hmm. So the, um, and I can't think of the name of the, the, the young man, his the sun god was his father and he wanted to be close to his father so he fashioned wings of wax and he could fly but he got too close to the sun and the sun melted the wax and he fell to the earth there's a story about life there Uh, and so you want to take the message and say well um, I can't think so highly of myself that I leave the earth and can fly with the angels. Uh, I need to keep both feet planted in reality mm-hmm. and um, plug away at what has to be done on a day-to-day basis. Jan, we've got about five minutes before my bottom hour break, so I want to have you start with a recount of a dream that you've had that's important and that we can kind of go through and talk about how you thought about that. Would that be okay to do? Yes. Um, on Tuesday, uh, it would be about five or six, five weeks ago, maybe on a Tuesday morning, I woke up with the dream that I was going to the Lincoln country club for a luncheon. And, um, I was, Someone was driving, a man was driving the car, I was in the passenger seat. We pull up to the Lincoln Country Club 
and uh, you drive in and, and from the right and then go under the portico to get out of the car. And um, as we approach the, the Lincoln Country Club, I see the main building and then there are these buildings off to the right, which I don't remember. I am not a member of the Lincoln Country Club, but I'm there once in a while for a meal. Mm-hmm. And so here are these buildings off to the right, and then to the right of that is a yacht club. Hmm. And beyond the yacht club is a lake. It looks like one of the Great Lakes. And I'm thinking, what happened? I don't, that wasn't there before. Where'd the golf course go? What happened? I mean, it's all water. And I, that's where I woke up from the dream. Mm-hmm. And that was on Tuesday morning before the flooding in Nebraska. So the water suddenly appearing in a place where it hadn't been before, totally turning things topsy-turvy. Yes. Uh, not part of the normal landscape, the normal uh, way of going through life, of going through one's day. Interesting. Interesting. So are we mm-hmm. coming back to that or are we going to say more now when when i was a kid i caddied at the lincoln country club mm-hmm. and in our caddy shack see i i know a lot of that movie personally <laughs> as do i <laughs> we actually took pennies i shouldn't say we a few of us took pennies and we filed them down meticulously on the concrete floor to the size of a dime because the pop machine accepted dimes. Oh, cool. And so we would put this slug in the pop machine. And about once a week, if you were there, when the pop delivery guy came, he would drive from the parking lot up this dirt path to the caddy shack. When you see his truck turn, the door would fly open and caddies would start running. <laughs> you knew this guy was going to find all those those slugs there. So, Well, you're giving us your associations to yep. the Lincoln Country Club. Yeah, if that uh, were my dream. If that were your dream, yes. Commenting on, on the water being somewhere where it never was before, that actually happened in an area that was my old stomping grounds from when I was a kid. These people living there, it had never flooded in human memory they were told that they were not in a floodplain and they did not need flood insurance. And, well, what happened? They got flooded. What this was the year. location, Jim? Uh, north of Platte River, the Platte River, uh, just south okay. of Bellevue, basically. Yep. That whole co- corridor there. Yeah, just yeah never been flooded. They weren't in a floodplain. And all of a sudden, surprise. Mm-hmm. Well, several things that came to my mind when I woke up from the dream were that... Um, I've heard various predictions over the years of, you know, if if the earthquakes take out California, then maybe, you know, we're going to lose half the continent and Nebraska is going to be on the beachfront beachfront uh, property. Yeah, I've seen those uh, those Of the Pacific. And and then also what I've heard and read about much of Nebraska was underwater in the ancient Mm -hmm. world. It was. So both of those things came to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really didn't know what to do with this until the flooding mm-hmm. became um, a prominent part of our awareness. Mm-hmm. And then I could say, well, 
I think of the the country club representing privilege and uh, access to resources that ordinary people don't have. That's a good definition. I mean, most mm-hmm. of us are not going to spend money on a membership to the country club, whether you're a golfer or not, unless you have um, extra money, you have extra resources, mm-hmm. you have leisure time to go play golf, and mm-hmm. it makes it worthwhile to put your money there. Um, and we were so privileged in Lincoln to escape the flooding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought of the whole city as the, the privileged group in Nebraska because most of us were not affected by it in any way personally. I mean, and if you know, like Jim, you know that uh, you can say those were my old stomping grounds and now it's yeah. flooded. And growing up along uh, the Missouri and Platte River as I did, flooding was a common thing up there, but and not like this. But we were so privileged. We didn't have to, I mean, we had water available to mm-hmm. us and our lives didn't stop and we're right. not cleaning mud and muck out of our houses and our basements. Mm-hmm. What a privilege. Mm-hmm. What a privilege. And yet that flooding actually, ladies and gentlemen, actually had a, a byproduct that reached us because some of our well fields for the Lincoln water system are located below the, the Platte River. Yes. We're not necessarily drawing water from the Platte, but it's way below, 100 mm-hmm. feet or below yeah. that. and the, Below the Platte. The water goes through rock and shale and gravel and then we extract that then so some of the well field uh we lost electricity to mm-hmm. them yes. so without that electricity those well pumps couldn't operate and suddenly uh as we all know uh we went into a critical water shortage yep. where the mayor came out and said you know, um, everybody used deodorant because we're not going to be bathing for a while. And, you know, um, uh, try to, to, to use water sparingly. You know, no watering yards, no the car washes. If you had a car wash, they shut down yeah. for, yeah. I don't know, now, uh, almost the, a week. The flip side of the flooding, where I come from, if, if you can say there's an upside, is down there on the Missouri River bottom where it floods to some degree almost yearly deposits all that fertile silt every year. That's some of the best farmland in the country. When it doesn't get washed out. Well, well yeah, yeah it, it, it doesn't. That's the point. The Missouri River deposits all this fresh fertile silt there, and then you have this great farmland. All the way south, 27th and Sotillo, it's now been reconfigured, way reconfigured. But um, when I was a kid, my parents uh, had a garden plot along Salt Creek, and that's yes. exactly what happened there. Mm-hmm. We had a garden that was either a lush garden or it got flooded and couldn't plant anything. And it's the flooding that made it so lush. Uh, I've got memories of going out there and mom picking lettuce and saying, sprinkle a little bit of sugar on that, and I ate that freshly washed off lettuce Mm-hmm. sitting in the back of the car, and I thought, that's so good. And it came right from that plot there. Yeah. Let's take the bottom of the hour break. Um, this is Dr. Jan Lindgren. Uh, her degree is in counseling and guidance. She's in private practice in Lincoln, Nebraska. And her phone number, you can leave a message, and she'll respond, is 
480-488-1916. When we come back, we want to also talk about this ongoing Dream Talk group. Oh, okay. Scott and Jim and, and Jan, and you guys and gals, we are all dreamers, aren't we? Stay tuned for more. Hey, the Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, Crescent Moon Coffee, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, April 20th, the Lincoln New Music Collective starts at 8 at Crescent Moon Coffee. Getting Busy with James Lindsay begins at 9 at the Bourbon Theater. And Grand Marquis plays the Zoo Bar at 6, followed at 9.30 by 23rd Vibration. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. It's sure great to have you with us on this Easter weekend. I hope you have a wonderful celebration, um, a remembrance, a connection, and uh, some good food as well. And Jim Shorty is here. Jim, our, our guest next week is Dr. Robert Davis. And there is a brand new book that he's written. It's just coming out called Unseen Forces. The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Wow, that sounds I thought, interesting. I thought you might like yeah. this. We've got some great shows coming up, including, let's get back to conversation today with Dr. Jan Lindgren. And Jan, uh, can we talk about another dream? Have we talked through the, the water? Is there anything else? I was curious, with it, when you looked at the... The country club and the dream and the buildings to the right, mm -hmm. and then to the right of that was this body of water that seemed like, I think you said Lake Michigan. 
One of the Great Lakes, one definitely. Of the, one of the Great Huge. Lakes. Huge. There was no end to the water. If, if we, in our dream, is there any truth that if we go to the right, oftentimes that direction can indicate or represent conscious reality or awake physical world? That is world, one way. It, the world of work. Yes, whereas going to the left is more toward the world of the unconscious. But also going to the right is more toward the world of the masculine function. Right. Going to the left is more toward the world of feminine function. So then we get into more theory, and we, it really is helpful to understand theory that Carl Jung taught and worked with. Um, masculine function has to do with um, the providing, the protecting, going out into the world and making a living and um, doing battle out there in the world, whereas feminine function is about bringing new life into the world, protecting new life, nurturing, nurturing uh, connecting emotionally. And we both need masculine function and feminine function in our lives. Given a male body, you're going to have a more dominant um, presence of the masculine function in your psyche. I will have a more dominant presence of feminine function in my psyche. Mm -hmm. But we look for the opposite of our conscious attitude into the... We look for... Um, information about the opposite in our dreams. So, so we've, got, we've got this body of water to the right. The water can represent the unconscious emotion. And if we have the masculine, the world of work, then we have, it's a tumultuous sense. We, we can expand our interpretation to include mm -hmm. aspects of all of that. Um, at Dream Talk this month, we just looked at the different interpretations of water. If you go to universal interpretations, there's page after page after page in various mm -hmm. and scholarly books on dream symbols. But Dr. Uh, Young and you, if I follow this correctly, you would say those are good checkpoints, but... If you were saying to me, you'd say, Scott, when you think of water, what does that represent to you? Yes. Because now we're going to get to the association. Yes. Each one of us have uniquely and differently. Yes. Yes, each one of us. And um, so I could go into all my associations to water, uh, a large body of water. Um, I haven't lived near water um, like that, um, this um, is water that where it shouldn't be, right. and it's a sudden appearance of water. Well, so you know, I get to the point of uh, it sounds like there was a flood, um, or um, you know, any uh, maybe some other possibilities. Mm -hmm. But I did not spend my time in interpretation on trying to understand why was there water in the dream. I was more focused in my interpretation on the setting mm -hmm. and um, um, and who would be 
included as membership in that setting? If we, in a dream, if we have a good friend that shows up in a dream um, and there's going to be something that happens to them, uh, I know a lot of people that struggle with, well, should I call that friend up and say, I had you in a dream last night and you were stepping out in front of a car? Or, or not? Well... We do, some, some of our dreams are premonitions. Mm -hmm. And someone has estimated that maybe 2% of the dreams are premonitions. For the most part, the dreams are about our own psyche and what we can learn about ourselves from the, our interpretation. But we allow for um, the premonition, definitely. And so um, I think there are situations that can be changed. They don't have to happen that way, like the friend stepping out in front of a car. That could change. And if I had a dream like that, I'd probably call the person and say, I had a dream in which you stepped out in front of a car and you were, you know, I don't know whether you were killed or just badly wounded, but please be careful. Um, and they, and they might say, well, that was silly. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to do anything like that. However, they're going to be more aware because something mm -hmm. at the unconscious level and that person is going to respond. Mm -hmm. Um, Janet, can we talk about uh, another dream that you've had? We've got uh, about 10 minutes here. Well... Uh, this and the reason why we're doing this is because when we talk about a dream and a little bit of the uh, analysis and thinking, we're helping people listening also understand how they can go about this. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting mixed messages. Uh, what do you want me to pursue? The, 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 uh, we talked off microphone about a dream yes. that you had. Yes. So I talk. should go ahead and talk about yeah, that. Yeah, let's please okay. do. Okay. Uh, let me say that one of the... Um, I am so thankful that I have spent years and years of my life paying attention to dreams. Yes, or are we? And um, one... And the primary... Well, there are many reasons, but a benefit that I would not have anticipated is that People I love who transition into the spiritual world show up in my dreams. Mm -hmm. It's like a visit. Um, and uh, from my husband, from my son, from my parents, from my mother-in-law, um, and, uh, and friends who are on the other side. Um, so I had a dream uh, in January. And I found this um, very meaningful. Uh, I was awakened on a Saturday morning at 9.30 by a phone call from my niece telling me that her father had died. Mm -hmm. This was Herb's brother, who at 85 um, just went to sleep in the nursing home and didn't wake up. And um, I asked Beth to call my kids 
uh, so they would know. And I went back to sleep, and immediately I'm in a dream where I'm visiting Chuck Lindgren and Maxine, and they have been living on an island. And this happens, it's be like, um, you know, a far distant place, maybe Mm -hmm. New Zealand, someplace like that. And I have come to visit. In the dream, Maxine knows that she is dying. And so I'm visiting her for the last time. And um, she just wants us to go do normal things like go to the market and look in at, for souvenirs and little shops and things like that. And so that's what we do. And there are other family members around, but I'm primarily aware of her. Um, and then she says, I only have about 20 minutes left. Maybe we should go back. So we go back to where they are living. And and she goes into the building, into their home. Um, and I am standing outside, far enough away from the building, can, I can see other adjoining buildings and they're all um, sharing walls. So here's Chuck and Maxine's place and then that wall joins someone else's place. and. And so I'm back where I can take a look at the neighborhood and I'm taking a picture of the neighborhood as Chuck is standing right beside me on my right side. Just as real as could be. And I wake up from that dream. And um, so we've all heard of people who know they've been visited by somebody before they leave their mm-hmm. uh, the physical world, and it felt like one of those experiences um, because it was within hours of his death, mm-hmm. and um, his wife actually died about sixteen years ago. So I can look at her as representing the feminine aspect of Chuck Lindgren, uh, the part of him that was very connected to people, mm-hmm. and. Um, the he's been living away from the rest of the world in a, a nursing home um, setting that is named the neighborhood, mm. and he was on he was room number four on Oak Street in the neighborhood, <laughs> and so there were <clears throat> hints uh, of their reality in the physical world. But it just was so comforting to have him standing beside me as a statement that death of the physical body does not mean the death of the soul. And I find that so reassuring. Well, as do I, that we can have these people that uh, mean so much to us that... um are in our dreams. As a um, visitation, as a presence. Sometimes, uh, in fact, for me, it's been most often when I least suspect it. it. It's not like I've been saying, okay, tonight, mom, come to be in my dream. Right, you can't plan anything no. like that. It's like they show up and say, well, I hope there's a bit of cake left in a pot of coffee because here I am. <laughs> 
Jan, tell us about Dream Talk and what happens on Dream Talk. Well, on the second Sunday of every month, most every month, uh, assuming I'm in town, uh, we meet from 3 to 5 at my house, and I ask everybody to bring a dream. I encourage people to write down their dreams. And um, it's been a small group. Uh, We can add people who are seriously interested. Um, And um, I try to do a little bit of theory every time so that um, the people coming are learning the psychology behind the interpretation. So the things we were talking about earlier, like identifying the place, the setting, the people in the dreams, looking for associations uh, to each uh, symbol and each person. Um, We want to attach the psychology of the unconscious to that process. So I try to do both. And so after we talk a little bit about theory, and I change that every month, and I have a pattern I follow through the year so that we hit the high points. And then um, if we have a large group, I have people break into groups of two, and then they work with each other on Mm -hmm. specific dreams. But if it's a small group, they share uh, their dream. We ask questions like, what are your associations to? What do you think of when? What do you think of when you see that person? Uh, What part of yourself do you see in that person? Um, If a Martian just got here on the Mars to Earth freighter (laughs) and had no idea at all about what we're doing here, how would you explain blank to the Martian? That's a really interesting. And you also, uh, with the dream group that I was in, you also used that empty chair. Yes. That's uh, an interesting tool, too. Th- well, the empty chair is a uh, situation where if you're the client, you would be sitting in the chair you're in. You would go to the other chair to carry on a dialogue with yourself. And remember, earlier you, earlier you said that working with dreams was kind of like an inner dialogue. Mm-hmm. And one of the strategies that Carl Jung worked on with clients is called active imagination. So you could put a character in the dream, someone you don't know in the physical world, mm-hmm. in the empty chair, and say, what were you doing in my dream? And then you go sit in the other chair and say, well, I was in your dream because I have no idea what's going to come out of that, and you don't until you sit there and start talking. Well, Jim and, and Jan, I've had a dream this last week, and that just sitting here and talking with mm-hmm. Jan and, and being here, um, I have a lot to think about now about this dream that I've had. And we hope that you also listening have had a lot to think about. Don't be surprised because you've been listening to the show about dreams if you have tonight some dreams. So stay tuned for more. Uh, I think in the next 60 seconds, Jan, if people are interested, how can we tell them about uh, how to contact you uh, and then a little bit more about Dream Talk when it meets? Well, my phone number is 402-488-1916. And um, 
If you're interested in coming to Dream Talk, give me a call. And, and um, The second Sunday of the month? Second Sunday of the month, yes. And um, I'll, give you, I'll tell you how to get to my house, and, and we'll talk a little bit about what happens at the meeting. And um, there's no charge. I, I am called to tell the world of uh, my world and the people in my world about the value of paying attention to dreams. So I don't do it. I'm not doing this for financial gain. It's because I want you, the listener, to learn to work with your own dreams. And what you'll find is if you start working with dreams and you share any of that information with family and friends, they'll start coming to you and say, I know you pay, your, pay attention to your dreams. What do you think my dream means? And so it's like a ripple effect. And that has been happening for 30-some years here in Lincoln, Nebraska, because we've been working with dreams. You can start tonight, folks. Um, either put a recorder by your bed that you can simply reach over and push record and talk into it, or a pad and a pencil. And when you wake up from a dream, take just a moment to either utter the basics into that recorder or jot down the information. That way it'll help get that into a short-term memory. And from there, we wish you much happy dreaming, yeah, for the most part, but maybe... There's something to be learned from every dream. There is. Yes. So may you all have the guidance and understanding... Uh, that will take you farther and, and better in life. Jan, thanks so much for being here, and it's always great to connect with you on one of my favorite subjects. Well, thank you. I love being here, Scott. So this next guy that's coming up here, I love him. This is Mr. Ed Rumbaugh, and it's a show called Beta Radio. So, Ed, you're back here over my shoulder. What are you doing today? On Beta Radio. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm playing uh, piano people. Oh, cool. Some, uh, actually, it's it's based upon your show, Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Cool. So we're hearing some uh, music, some jazz, avant-garde music about spaceships, about outer space, about love in outer space, and about mm. ghosts. So every song has uh, has you in mind. You and Jim <laughs> and Unexplained Phenomena in mind. Whoa. So how, Thank you, you. How, your, how have your dreams been? Uh, they're active. <laughs> Good. Good. They're, they're active. And it's interesting when you have dreams with broken body parts. Ooh. Oh, my. God bless you. So those, Kate, those have been interesting. Going to see you for lunch here. So, okay, stay tuned for uh, Ed Rumbaugh with Beta Radio, and he's got some uh, piano people coming up. I'm Scott Colborn. Thanks to Jan Lindgren for being here. Jim, thank you always for what you do for the program. Very interesting, as always. Happy Easter thank to you. you. Jan, happy Easter. Happy Easter. And folks, thanks so much for listening. Happy Easter to you. Until next week, walk in beauty.